Hi, my name is Tushar and you're listening to Brown Nation. Hello, hello, this is Brown Nation and today on the podcast we have Anish Mitra, he's a very, very funny crypto and finance influencer, also does uh, comedy. The way I, It's pretty cool to interview someone on your podcast whose videos you regularly get sent by your friends. Uh, Anish, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Yo, yo, I'm, I'm good, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. You look, you look thoroughly... Uh, it looks like you enjoyed last night. How was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> last night was longer than I thought it would be, but it uh, it was good. Just went to brunch out here in Los Angeles at this place called Elefante in Santa Monica with a few close friends who I hadn't seen in a long time. So ended up. Uh, it's kind of funny, actually. We we were with I was with my two best friends and their girlfriends. So I was fifth wheeling the entire time, and. <laughs> They kept ordering some girl got a margarita, but instead of getting salt around the rim, which is normal, she right. got sugar. But the waitress kept bringing it back with salt, so she kept sending it back. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw I saw stuff get sent back more than I've ever seen. You know, I, I, it was just unbelievable. I've never seen people send something back so many times. Like it was great. <laughs> Sounds good. Things in LA are actually opening up. I live in LA myself. Um, and it's pretty cool that things are opening up. So, so okay, so when, when I read your bio, the first thing I see is um, ex-Goldman Sachs. Huh? Mm -hmm. so, and, and then you turned to comedy somehow. How, did, how, mm -hmm. how does that happen? You know, it really, it's weird. Uh, I So I'm from New York. My parents are Bengali and... I was, I never really, first of all, even getting into finance, like, how does that happen, right? Like, my parents are public servants. My dad worked for the city of New York. My mom's a teacher. I don't have any background in this stuff. You know, I'm not like one of these Chads or Kevins whose dad works at a bank. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to go, you know, work for my dad. So when I was at Brown, where I went to college, I remember one summer, some dude told me that he made $10,000 editing PowerPoint presentations. So I threw away my law school book and I was like, you know what? I know how to use PowerPoint. I'm going to do this and make some easy money and go party and get tons of girls. What ended up happening was I get into finance and it's absolutely miserable. You're working 100 hours a week and I couldn't really be creative there. And I've always had a passion for public speaking, writing. I mean, you know, we're, we're South Asian, man. That's what we do, right? We are the, you know, we're the people of Bollywood. So I, I think at some point in time, it kind of hit. And, you know, after eight, nine years of working at Goldman, I decided to take the leap. And I, you know, to be honest with you, man, I'm definitely not making as much money as I used to right now, but I'm happier sure. than I've ever been. That's crazy. So what, what did you do at Goldman? What was, uh, what was kind of like your area of uh, expertise? So, I mean, normally in finance, there are a couple of different entry points. Um, you know, it's it's a little interesting, actually. But the first major one or the one that most people at least talk about in the media or whatever is investment banking. And I, I actually did investment banking at another company called Barclays, which had bought Lehman Brothers, you know, rest in peace. Um, but I... Uh, 
you know, investment banking is basically you're advising companies on what to do, right? You're basically a glorified consultant that knows how to use Microsoft Office really well. And you and, and you're also a legal assistant. You do a lot of paperwork and, and things like that. But that's the general entry point that a lot of people like, because if you do banking, then it opens up a lot of other doors for you that you can go on and, and do other jobs in finance, like work at a hedge fund or work at a private equity company that buys companies. So I worked in at Barclays in banking for two years. And then when I joined Goldman in 2012, and I was there from 2012 to 2019, I did a couple of different things. I did two different things. The first thing was I joined this group that bought insurance companies. So I was there for about two or three years. And that entailed a lot of trips to Bermuda because there's a 0% tax rate in Bermuda. Shout out Bermuda. Right. Uh, and uh, I did that for about two and a half years. And then I started doing stand-up comedy like you um, in 2015. So when I started doing stand-up, I wanted to do something different at Goldman because I couldn't work 100 hours a week anymore, right? I really, really wanted to prioritize having time to go out and hit the clubs. And I was in New York, right? It's a, it's kind of a physical sport in New York, right? You literally have to be at these open mics and these clubs and do this and that. So I moved over to talent management, which, you know, instead of working 100 hours a week, I was working 80 hours a week. So that that gave me some time to do stand up. But I did uh, talent management where I ran all of the training uh, at Goldman for about three and a half, four years. And then I left in 2019. Got it. So many, so many of my friends, so many people who work in tech, so many people who work in mm -hmm. finance are always talking about finding yourself like creatively mm -hmm. and everybody has that creative instinct. But you actually went ahead and did, you know, you, you did it. And uh, in, in a way, I did as well. You know, I, 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 I quit my job as well to to pursue comedy and then did freelance. What were you doing? I run like a advertising agency, like a small Facebook ads agency, but it's like a work from home gig. So it helps me uh, focus on on comedy. That That is an amazing um, transition. W one thing I realized when I listen to your videos mm -hmm. is when you do your dad's voice, it's yeah. it's it's such a it's such a quintessential Bengali accent that I kind of yeah. knew that. <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, it's like you know you're talking about these videos that I do about Indian dad. My dad has actually never said any of these things ever. <laughs> it's more uncles and stupid things that people have said about money mainly. But yeah, my dad has yeah. actually never said. If anything, my mom has said more of those things than my dad, but. I didn't right. realize, I mean, and this is the other beauty of social media. When I was doing that accent, I was actually really afraid because there's already been a lot of stuff out about Indian accents and, and things like that. And and to be honest with you, like, you know, I, I just wanted to do something where I was impersonating the people that have given me shitty advice. So the whole point of that character is these guys, especially in our community, will give you shitty advice, but they'll say it as if they're doing a TED talk. But the beauty of the internet is I started putting out these videos and people would comment and be like, oh my God, like, you that's the perfect bengali act like people recognize immediately that it was a bengali accent and like to be honest i didn't even know i was doing that like i was just impersonating the people that i knew and i'm bengali and all my family's bengali but i that's one thing that i didn't expect and people were like and and because that made it authentic i i think i haven't received any kind of backlash of like oh you're you're impersonating you're doing hacky stuff blah 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 it's because it is so authentic to me and it is something that really can't be impersonated right it's tough to do a bengali accent unless you're really living that life right 
And we, I mean, you notice the nuance, but it's also extremely funny because yesterday, so me and my wife yesterday, we drove to Laguna Beach, right? So we mm -hmm. live in Ontario, we were driving. And I was talking about that I'm interviewing you. So we started playing your videos on speaker in the car and she's Mexican. <laughs> oh, so God. she has no like reference to <laughs> to you being Bengali or anything, but she's just a techie, right? And she she got all the jokes. Mex Mexican because, techie, yeah. Yeah, she's um, we're, we're a Mexican Indian uh techie couple or used to be at least now she's uh now she pays for the comedy pretty much um that's crazy good for you congrats <laughs> i don't even know you're married that's awesome yeah yeah um it's you know well she liked the videos she loved it she loved it and she she followed you as well um so when you're Tell me about how you developed um sort of this character this following um you got tons of followers on Instagram. It just, like, how much time did it take you to really come into yourself? Because one mm. of the struggles that South Indian people have when expressing their creativity, mm. or South Asian people have, um, is, is because we're so programmed to work like dogs, you know, like we're always mm -hmm. like a rat race. And then you just have trouble finding out what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to find my voice? What, like, what do I talk about? Mm. I don't want to talk about the stuff I work on because that I already work on. Like it's mm -hmm. this dilemma of really finding who you are, what your voice is. And how, how did you do that? Hey, I'm still doing it. And frankly, it was a six year journey. So I started doing stand up comedy in the summer of 2015. It's actually literally been almost six years to the day that I started and I'll be honest with you, bro, stand-up really wasn't – obviously, people think stand-up is this big creative thing, which it is, and it helps you find your voice literally because you're in front of a microphone talking to people. But I never actually thought stand-up was it for me. It was something that I was doing to wet my feet and, and get creative. I always knew that I had something to say. And how does anyone begin in comedy? They make their friends laugh. And I was always the guy that was making my friends laugh. But for me, it was bigger than laughter. And I think what ended up happening was I everyone needs to just understand what are you doing in life that no one's telling you to do. And the one thing that I was always doing in life that no one is telling me to do is I would be explaining finance things to people. And most of my friends are brown, to be honest. Like I'm from Queens. I'm from the trenches. Most of my friends don't work in finance, and but they have financial problems. That's, I think, everyone in life, right? Every single person in life has money issues, whether you're worth a dollar, a negative a dollar, or a billion. Like billionaires have more money issues than anyone else because they have more money. So like I was always in a situation where I'm like explaining these concepts. And obviously this past year, finance has been more popular in my view than than almost anything except coronavirus, right? Because you see right. people going crazy on crypto. You see people dumping their life savings into meme stocks and then losing all their money and getting divorced. So Right. I I think for me to answer your question, the journey really started last year, to be honest, because I I was sitting alone, quarantined in in LA in a house with two other people who I didn't know, and I was staring at a camera, and I thought to myself, you know, I just need to start leaning into this thing that I know, and there's a demand for it, and people want to hear about finance from someone who doesn't look like Jeffrey Epstein, and I don't look like Jeffrey Epstein, and. <laughs> why am I like when I was doing stand up in New York, I was always trying to talk about things that other people were talking about and it sounded rehearsed. And I was like, you know, why am I doing the same shit 
that I was doing at Goldman. Like, why am I trying to sound like somebody else and be like somebody else? Because that's what success looks like. I'm just going to lean into my shit. Like, I know about finance. I know how to make it funny. No one else is doing that. And there's a real mission for this. Like, it's bigger than laughter. Like, people need to understand what this stuff is and they deserve to get it in an entertaining and fun way. So why not just lean into that and see where it goes? And frankly speaking, you know, once I started making these videos, they just kind of, I mean, obviously, look, it's finance, right? I'm not shaking, you know, I'm not Addison Ray shaking my ass and you're not going to get like millions and millions of views on this stuff. But it kind of started taking off and people appreciate it and they find value in it. So I'm going to keep it going and we're going to see where it goes. Sounds good. I mean, one of the like finance wise, this is how bad I am. Like I, <laughs> when you, when someone tells me about the great depression, I think about the last time I had depression and had ice cream and it was great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, and, that's true. Well, I say that, <laughs> you weren't alive during the great who gives a shit about the great depression <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but people you know on youtube videos people talk about it all the time that it's coming inflation whatnot and yeah, we, yeah. okay so we'll, we'll we'll get into that but <laughs> this is one of my primary struggles as well is understanding what to do with with my money and mm -hmm. it is extremely complex as an immigrant also like because i i was born in india and then I moved here like three years ago. I'm still mm -hmm. figuring out how the whole system works. And now I've figured out, well, uh, I have to build credit to buy mm -hmm. stuff that I maybe can't afford. And then I have to, you know, <laughs> once I have the credit, then I will have to buy more stuff I can't afford. And it's like mm -hmm. the circle of debt. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so we need people like you to tell us what's what, <laughs> um, who are honest. Um, what do you think about that, by the way? Like, what is... Um, what what advice would you would you give a normal let's say just having a job person who's making i don't know like 100 grand a year uh, which yeah. is a lot of money but like yeah. um Nor normal person making 100 x a year i damn who who's like your a normal who's san francisco person Jesus. <laughs> what do you say about a poor person making you know only 100 racks a year what, what should they do i mean they should just quit because they're going to be poor forever no i um look i i think the other thing uh, you, you'll see in finance, social media or finance media is a lot of experts, right? A lot of these people that say, hey, listen to me, I'll make you rich or buy my course. And after reading my course, you're going to be a billionaire. The other thing I was very, very passionate about and, and mindful of when I started doing this was I'm not going to give specific advice. Like I'm not going to say, yeah. and this is not from like a, this isn't financial sure. advice, but buy the stock though. Like, <laughs> like legitimately, like I'm not going to tell people like this is the only way something can be done because yeah. I think finance is like fitness. If you see two people with chiseled six pack abs, there's a, even if they have the, even if they're at the same destination, it doesn't mean they took the same train to get there. Right. Sure. They could have died differently. They could have worked out differently. They're doing what worked for them, but they did it in a consistent way to get to the same goal. I see yeah. finance as the same way. Two people can, if you want to be financially secure, you want to have good credit, right? You want to have a home. You want to do all these things that you want to do in your life, financial goal-wise. You don't need to do the same exact things as someone else. Now, obviously, there's yeah. certain things that you should emulate, like buying index funds or saving your money in in the market to avoid inflation or you know holding an emergency fund like all these typical advice that people give you there's certain things in the same way in fitness right there's certain things you can drink a lot of water be active exercise but yeah 
tactically speaking, you know, there's certain things that like, you know, you, you just can't tell someone they have to do because it, a lot of this stuff is based on what's your life? What are your needs? What are your goals? So like, you know, for me, you know, to answer your question in a very long ass winded way, like I would say there are certain baseline things you need to be doing. You need to be investing. A, you know, the stock market in general has returned, you know, 10 to 15% a year. In my view, this is basically risk-free. Like unless you think America is going to disappear, which a lot of people do, uh, yeah. you should be invested in the stock market. Like why would you not, right? It makes zero yeah. sense to me, whether it's a dollar, $10 or $100. Like billionaires will not hold cash and have billions of dollars in the stock market and index funds because yeah. it's an easy 20% a year that no one else is giving you for free. Like my parents would always talk about putting their money in these state bank of India certificates of deposit that return 1% <laughs> a year. And it's like, what, like you're basically just burning $2 out of every hundred a year, you know? Yeah. So like the number yeah. one thing I'll tell people is like, if, if there's one piece of advice I would give anybody, it's aside from the money that you need to feed yourself and keep the lights in your house on, um, you need to be deployed. You need to be fully deployed. Fully like no cash. <laughs> No, have some cash. I mean, look, I see the lights in, in your room are off. Uh, you know, have have enough cash to keep the lights on. Sure. I, the baseline advice, I think, you know, from what I've read and I agree with is, you know, having kind of yeah. six months, you know, half a year to a year's worth of expenses saved in cash, which I, is is fine. It makes sense. You know, you, you need cash at the end of the day. Cash is like water, right? That's yeah. why they call it being liquid, because if you don't have cash, there's certain things you just will not be able to do. But yeah. I do think for anything, you know, I was the guy that had a bunch, you know, a lot of the money that I made at Goldman, like I kept in cash just because it was just pretty to look at, right? It's like having a painting. You're like looking at it yeah. like, no, oh, it's there. I'm like, I own it. Um, <laughs> but it also doesn't grow, right? Like the painting right. doesn't get brighter over time. If anything, paintings lose their shimmer over time. That's what happens to your cash when you're just staring at it. So I would recommend to anybody like keep, have investments. And if you don't need to do a lot, the other thing I'll say is, you don't need to do a lot of work, you know, like people yeah. think stock market investing is like, oh, I got to read these reports and I got to memorize charts and I got to know graphs and oh my God, I can't even do math. It's like, trust me, no one on Wall Street knows how to do math. Like most people on Wall Street have like an algebra level, like you, like our parents, like that's the most ironic thing. Like my dad is an engineer. He knows more about mathematics than any of the people I've ever worked for. But right. he's much Mind broker too. than any of the people I've ever worked for. So like, <laughs> Mind so like you don't have to do a lot of work. Like you literally just buy an index fund every month and ten and you know, thank me in ten years. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. It, what what is uncanny almost to hear in your voice is is you've really come into your own. You've taken your voice, your talent, your knowledge, and kind of brought it all together. Uh, it's it's a struggle I face as well because I'm like I I know what you mean when you say you go to open mics and you try to mimic other people because you're trying mm -hmm. to fit in or do a different kind of comedy or, or you know you're trying to be relate to American or like let's say a yeah. different kind of sensibility um, and I feel that too and now you've taken and it because I like I'm like should I joke about advertising because uh, <laughs> that's what I that's what I do. Um, but it makes I, sense. I, honestly, it makes I think sense. you should, man. Who who hasn't seen an ad, right? Like, I think the number right. one thing that I realized also when I was doing this was, you know, when I was in New York and I was doing stand up on the stage, I didn't want to talk about finance because I was like, oh well, no one's going to relate to. You know, I got into like strategy mode and I got out of artist mode, and I was like, well, no one's going to relate to this, and how am I going to do this on Conan? Blah blah blah. And I think 
in stand-up, you get a lot more pressure to do stuff people are going to like because you're performing at a club and there's people in the club and the the owners there, the bookers there. Like you're almost not really even doing it for you. You're doing stand-up for everyone but you. You're doing it for the club owner because he's got to sell seats and he's got to sell drinks. You're doing it for the booker because the booker wants to look good and he's got these industry connections and he wants them to think that he has an eye for talent and you're doing it for your peers too, right? Like you don't want to fucking bomb in, in front of or behind someone and, and have them talk shit about you when you're not there in the green room. So like, I, I think social media actually let me become free because I was like, you know what? I literally am doing this for me in the beginning, at least I had zero followers. So it's like, right. you know, you gotta, I think you should lean into it. And I think you should talk about it because like, we don't need more Indian dudes talking about how, Oh my God, I didn't go to med school. Ha ha ha. You know, it's like Brenda in the front row is laughing. Like we, we know you didn't go to med school, bro. You're fucking trying to make people laugh and, and buy more drinks. Like, but talk about advertising. I, I think like we need yeah. to normalize like people just talking about their careers because every single yeah. person you meet works like, you know, like unless you're talking to someone who literally has no clothes on. Um, but like we need to normalize people just talking about how they make a living. Like no one ever talks about how they actually make a living. Everyone talks about everything but that. And I think that's right. what makes it interesting. And that's what makes you interesting. It's like when people can learn about, oh, shit, like this guy actually knows something. And yeah. and you, it's up to you as an artist to figure out, well, how am I going to relate that to other things that are relatable? You know, like that's where the, the money is, in my view. That makes sense. I mean, and you put I, I think you've very accurately described the comedy market and, and how it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, how, is, how is comedy going like are you going like LA, you said la is opening up um you know i, I know that too i'm here but like you know, i'm i'm more in the in the brunch market like how's how's the comedy right. market going like, are you going up <laughs> are you performing yeah um so i moved to la maybe about three months four months uh, just before the pandemic um and i go to haha -ha a lot that's kind of like that's what i'm trying to make haha -ha comedy club in north hollywood it's kind of what I'm trying to make as my uh, as my home club here to start out. Um, so I do a ton of open mics there, uh, cool. and I do a couple of shows uh, when I can get them. Uh, mm -hmm. I know the booker, so it's just I'm just starting to build out my relationships in LA. Back in San Francisco, where I used to live before, uh, I was uh, you know performing every night. I have I had shows um, at least three or four a week. So oh wow, nice. It's nice. kind of it's kind of like I'm I'm what three years in. So okay. at least in San Francisco, I can get shows if I want, but LA is still kind of a very new market for me. Um, but what I also realized was living in San Francisco is so much of a bubble that you end mm -hmm. up just making very, oh, very yeah. local. Yeah, it's like all like you're, you're already talking to people and you, it's, it's, I don't know, it, it was a bit limiting um, and now I'm here. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm still very much in the mindset, oh, I'm going to have to put like 10 years or 15 years in a club and you get passed like at some point. No. You know what I mean? Like I'm, oh, I'm in God. that. That's what I'm playing right now. <laughs> that, I mean, that that's one of the reasons why I love COVID. I think COVID completely dis – I always had the view of it really doesn't make any sense. The entertainment industry is very much still stuck in the Great Depression era. Right to, to do a little callback, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, I, it didn't. It never made any sense to me. It's like it, this has nothing to do with who's actually talented. It's like, and and granted, like I will never say that 
relationships aren't important. You need to have people help people they like. That's just a fundamental fact of life. Even in social media, relationships are important. Like I try to build relationships with big accounts because, you know, granted, I I want them to share my stuff and I want to work with them and I want to get to know them actually too. But it never made sense to me in comedy why people were hanging around these clubs. It's like, go create content, right? Go do something that can scale. Like a lot of my followers are in India. Like I would never have reached them through a booker or by performing at Stand Up New York a hundred more times. So, right. you know, in my view, it's always like the internet is this thing that we can really use to to share and grow our brand. And like, what what is a booker going to say if you have 100,000 followers and you walk into some club and say, hey, I want to do Thursday, Friday, I guarantee I'll sell it out. What what are they going to say? No, we don't like your money. Like, I, <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day, like if you can build your own thought, fo- like equity has always been important to me. Like, you know, you're in San Fran. I'm sure they talk about equity all day. Like, I, yeah. I think building something on your own is the number one thing you should be doing. And in my view, and that's what a lot of these comedians that people idolize are doing, right? That's what Kevin Hart basically does. He, he owns everything he does. He owns his own production company, his own marketing company. He he comes out and puts out his own content, right? I mean, it doesn't matter that he was passed at all these clubs. Like he's turned himself into a business. Like that's what you need to be thinking. If you're a comedian, artist, performer, whatever it is, like you need to think of yourself as a business and not as, some person who needs to be seen and like the minute you're seen you're going to be big like that's the stupidest thing you can do in my view yeah no i totally hear you i totally hear you and it it has dawned on me because first you come here and you're like okay so this is how it works i'm supposed to follow this yeah very laid down process it's very long all right you kind of kind of accept but then you start to question you're like this doesn't really make sense because the people who even even are going up they're not going up always because they're the best and the funniest mm-hmm. person around they're sometimes going up because they've been working there for like five years mm-hmm. you know so like it's just the mathematics of it the science of it is very it's it's very different and you can just figure your own way around and you can make kind of like your own path in a totally different way you don't need to follow the rules um mm-hmm. that, because there's gatekeepers right there's gatekeepers everywhere there's bookers everywhere and mm-hmm. they have you know there's just um, and so you can kind of figure out your own path and it's starting to dawn on me. And so I'm, 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 I'm starting to figure out what that looks like for me. Um, what about, what does it look like for you right now? Like, are you, um, are you focusing more on Instagram or is that something, um, that's just going on its own, but you continue to do stand up, uh, like shows, book shows, that kind of thing, yeah. or you produce your own shows? Like what, what, what are you uh, getting around to these days? I, I mean, look, I, I don't really do stand-up anymore. I'll do it. On, okay. And I think a lot of that is like pan- pandemic related too. But, you know, I did I did a bunch of yeah. Zoom shows during the pandemic, uh, a few corporate things. And, you know, my comedy is all clean as well. And that was strategic yeah. because that – and I, it's not really – I shouldn't say that. Like, I, I you know, I, I don't like to – my parents used to come to my shows. Like, I, I don't like to go up there and talk about, oh, man, you know – and I, I pulled out and sprayed off her and then she <laughs> wanted more. Like, you know, I, you know that, that kind of stuff is, is not really my cup of tea. Um, sure. So because my act is clean, I always do think about, okay, maybe there are opportunities for me to go out and do a corporate event or do this and do that. But yeah. to be honest with you, I'm 150,000% focused on growing my my digital presence. So Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, that's the number one thing I focus on because my mission, once again, it's bigger than laughter, right? My mission is to pull the curtain 
on Wall Street and Silicon Valley and to make finance fun. And if I can do that in a funny way, that's great. But the purpose of my comedy and my art and my work is not to make people laugh. The purpose is to educate people and it is to show them something that I know they need, but do it in a way that I know no one else is doing. So even when I do standup, that's what I talk about now. And I'm fully committed. I don't go up there and talk about, obviously I talk about my life and I'll talk about dating stuff, but it's always in the context of what really has hurt me in the past. And it's always been money things, right? So that's, that's what I talk about. So, you know, I don't get into these club politics or, oh, I got to meet these bookers, this and that. Like, for me, the gatekeeper is myself. Like, I just need to put out content and I need to be very, I mean, it's a lot of social media. It has nothing to do with even like, like, you know, like a lot of social media is, is science. It's looking at data. It's, it's trying to understand your stats. It's mapping, it's planning. It's like social media is chess, you know, it's not really selfies and butt pics. It's, you know, unless you're lucky enough to be one of those girls, but it's, sure. it's really just chess. And I I'm find not. it better to, I'd rather spend an hour on social media, looking at accounts that I can maybe work with or looking at my going through my last 10 videos and seeing, all right, how many of these videos were shared and saved and, and the ones that were more shared. Okay. What, what is it? What is it about these videos that were good? What am I doing? Like I would rather spend an hour doing that than an hour having vodka sodas with some dude who's never going to book me on a show. Sure. Yeah. And that makes a thousand percent sense. Uh, what is it? Uh, what is it about, um, would you say, let's say your upbringing? So like going a little bit into like who you are as a person, because I'm getting curious about oh, no. that. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit, a little early in the morning to do that. But do you, th- okay, let me phrase the question more specifically. Yeah. Did you, do you think, and I, this is a belief I hold is like a lot of South Asian parents have money issues. Um, yeah inherently and in and is that something you inherited as well is that was that did that play a part in about you know with you going in finance and ending up where you are today um absolutely i'll say this i say this to everybody i think i invented it most things in life are about money except money (laughs) money is about jealousy money is about your friends money is about the size of your penis, money is about your biggest insecurities, right? Everything in life, I think, is mainly about money except money. And growing up, I saw that firsthand with my parents. My dad was unemployed for a little bit and my mom had to go out and basically learn how to become a teacher. She went and did college credit. I remember going with her sometimes because my dad would be out looking for jobs or whatever. And my mom couldn't leave me home alone. So she would bring me to York College or St. John's and I would sit in the back. You know, your boy was taking college classes at age seven. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, (laughs) and I remember thinking even at that age, it's my mom's not here because she's trying to learn. She's here because of money and it causes stress. And I remember seeing my dad get really insecure because he had to be on my mom's health insurance for a little bit. And it made no sense to be insecure about it. It's like she's just got better health insurance. Just use her goddamn health insurance. Who cares? Right. Right. You're not single anyway. Okay. (laughs) Like you're married. Like (laughs) this is your wife. It's basically your mom at this point. You got her health insurance. But um, 
But I remember seeing all these little stupid things and I'm sure that he felt emasculated that he was this guy and he was the one that came to America and he was the engineer and he was the educated guy. But now he's on his wife's health insurance and his wife is some woman from a village who he was arranged to who he never thought would do shit. And now she's the one that's running everything in the house. So, of course, like you get to see firsthand how people react with money. And like we see that now, like if you have a if you have a buddy and you guys are doing if you have a comedian friend right now and you guys are doing the same shit, you're doing the same mics, you're doing the same shows, you're basically kind of doing the same jokes. And then a year from now, this dude has his own Netflix show and he's posting stories at Elefante getting brunch with women that are much younger than him. Like you're going to be like, what the fuck? Like, right. This guy is literally was literally doing the same shit as me last year. And now he doesn't know yeah. who I am. So it's like, you know, and it's not about really money. It's not the numerical stuff. It's all emotional. So like, I think, yeah. of course, I inherited that. And frankly speaking, like, it's because money is so personal that people oftentimes make shitty decisions when it comes to money because they're not acting with their heads. Like all these people that are putting $100,000 or $10,000 or whatever it is into GameStop or into AMC or into some crypto that you've never heard of. They're not doing it because it's the logical thing to do. They're doing it because they're seeing their friends get rich. They're seeing people get rich. They want to get rich because they think they're better than their friends. So they're going to go do this thing. And then when they lose money, they're going to laugh about it with their friends and act as if like they didn't do it to be richer than them. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, all this shit comes down to what you feel. And, And the way to be successful in this is the same way to be successful in fitness. When you stress eat or when you order McDonald's at three in the morning, you're not acting with your mind, right? You're acting with your heart. But the way to get a six pack is not to act with your heart. It's to act with your mind and to impose discipline and to do certain things, even when you don't want to do them. And that's how you become successful with money too. That is incredible. Um, And I agree. So, so, so let's talk about crypto a little bit. Um, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you, I, I am moderately educated. Uh, I have not yet invested in uh, either Doge Coin or Shiba Inu Coin. Good, you're already um, doing better than a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because uh, here's the thing, my mom recently, my mom is in India. She she taught Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. for Ooh. 30 years she just retired wow and she's congrats. gonna get money on retirement thank you congrats uh, auntie if you're yeah uh she's she was she's gonna listen and uh <laughs> she was asking me beta thoda sa paisa bitcoin mein laga de. like uh-huh. can you put some of my money in bitcoin or something because uh-huh. i hear all about it yeah. and i was like Yes, of course. Like, <laughs> you know, you tell me, I'll, I'll help you out. Like, we'll, we'll do it. And my dad yeah. was like, nay, nay, like, don't do that. Like, yeah, he will keep it in he, cash. Yes. Think, yeah, he, he's the one who's going to buy the 1% SBI uh, <laughs> bond. <laughs> <laughs> SBI. Those guys are the biggest crooks <laughs> in the world. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're saying like, <laughs> like criminals use Bitcoin. No, criminals are in suits behind a glass casing. Telling you to <laughs> telling you give me a hundred thousand dollars for five years and I'll give you one percent a year. I promise. Those are the real criminals. Oh yeah, and they come to your house. Like they come to your house. They'll give you these like big folders full of like these mutual yeah. funds and whatnot. Pictures and of people like, smiling. No one's ever smiled after getting one yeah. percent FBI <laughs> CD. Let's be honest. <laughs> so this is that's that's why it's it's crazy. And uh, I you know I started investing in crypto like three four years ago. 
But how, how long have you been investing in crypto? And you're, would you consider yourself an overall crypto bull in the long term? So I, I've been, look, I'm not one of these crazy crypto maniacs. Let me just be clear on Twitter. You know, pe- you talk to some of these crypto people, they're like, oh my God, banks are horrible, cash is trash. And then you're like, all right, well, then how do I, like your mom, how do I buy some crypto then? And they're like, well, you need a bank account and you need some cash. Like, you know, it's it's just like some of these people are too crazy, but I have been interested in cryptocurrency, mainly Bitcoin, since 2013, since I was actually looking at my first ever transaction the other day because I was on the Coinbase app. But I remember working at Goldman and I remember Bitcoin coming out. And I think a lot of this really doesn't even come down to, once again, money is about everything but money. It, it doesn't come down to money. It comes down to freedom. The reason I was really interested in Bitcoin when I was working at Goldman in a bank is because when you, the one more thing I also say about investment bankers is a lot of these guys are full of shit because they don't even invest because you're not allowed to. When you work at an investment bank, your trades and your stock account is monitored and you're not allowed to buy anything unless it gets cleared by the company because you're working with these companies, right? You might have inside information. So most of the time, these banks don't clear your trades. So like a lot of these guys aren't even investing. So like when I saw Bitcoin come out, I was like, oh shit, like there's no way they're going to be able to track this. So like this is an opportunity and a way for me to invest and be free that I currently don't have right now. And that was back in 2013. I was I was super young then. And me and my boy bought some Bitcoin at $700. And then it went up to like $1,400. And we sold yeah. it. And we thought we were the smartest people in the world. We thought we were Warren Buffett. Like the brown Warren Buffett. He's my boy. He's Spanish. And <laughs> we were walking around. I was like, yo, everybody give me room now. Like, you know, like I, I made $600. I went to, I think I went to J. Crew and bought a bunch of polos. Like I, I thought I was the man. And, but that started a journey. And I think in 2016, which is the next big bull market, I bought one Bitcoin and I bought a couple of Ethereum and I started learning more about it. Like, you know, what really is it? Yeah. What, what could happen? And then the next bull market, which is the one that we're living through right now, last October, so October 2020, is when me and my buddies really sat down and we started really getting serious about it. We we're like, look, The Federal Reserve Bank of America is literally printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Our new government, you know, at that time, uh, obviously, it was election season, but they'd already done a few rounds of stimulus. And we're like, look, regardless of who becomes president, they're probably still going to be doing this. So there's all this new money that's coming out of nowhere. What's going to happen? Like, obviously, there's going to be some inflation. There's going to be, and it's not about your lattes cost more. It's more about where is this money going to go? So when trillions of dollars get printed, it ends up in the hands of people that are rich at the end of the day, right? The people that actually get money. So the way right. that you experience inflation has nothing to do with how the news talks about it. It's got more to do with when you go to buy a house now, how much you're going to pay for that house. You're probably gonna pay a lot more because people with money will just scoop up real estate and then rent it out, right? We're looking at housing booms right now in, in New York, yeah. in Miami, probably even in LA, anywhere with hot real estate, Miami for sure. So like, we sat down, we're like, look, this is the only way that we're going to be able to protect our cash from any significant, aside from being in the market, aside from having stock investments, and we're all like invested in stocks. So we're like, what else can we be doing that's not related to our stocks, right? So that was what started it. And then from basically October to early 2021, you know, we kind of all went, what I like to say, dummy long 
into Bitcoin and Ethereum. So when I say crypto, I'm talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are the only two cryptocurrencies that I hold and I don't trade them. I literally have bought them and I just stare at the Coinbase app. Sometimes I cry, sometimes I smile, <laughs> depending on the day, but I stay deployed and that's th those are the two that I believe in. Yeah, I mean, a ton of people, even my friends are like, is, right, this is not a good time. Bitcoin's like, it's 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 already fallen. And I'm like, I don't think you were invested a year ago because you don't realize the gains you've had just in the last one year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it, it's kind of crazy. So do you, and, and do you generally invest through like Coinbase and stuff or, or, or multiple exchanges kind of thing? Um, how does like the average person, you think, get, get, even access to to investing in crypto. So if, if you're in if you're in the U.S. or if you're in most countries, really, aside from the ones where it's banned, uh, like India, actually, um, <laughs> yeah. my view would be: do not a. I'll tell you what not to do. And and oftentimes in money, it's easier to know what not to do than what to do. Sure. What, what not to do is do not use Robinhood because to buy crypto. Or I wouldn't even use it to buy stocks, to be honest. But don't use it to buy crypto because. You don't actually own the coins. The whole part, the reason crypto is interesting to me is because it gives you freedom, right? You own this currency. You you have there's a private key that only you're supposed to know, and you could put it wherever you want. Robinhood basically takes all that away from you because when you own quote unquote own crypto on Robinhood, you can't move it out of Robinhood, right? They basically account for the fact that you have it and they mark the price to it. So you can obviously still make money on it. But yeah. For me, I would recommend using – I use two two services, let's say. Gemini, which is founded and run by the Winklevoss twins, and Coinbase yeah. Pro. So Coinbase Pro is free. They don't tell you about it because it's free. And the fees are actually much lower than if you were to use Coinbase. Uh, yeah. You really shouldn't be paying that many fees because my view is – you shouldn't be trading in and out of it, right? You pay fees every time you trade. My view is you buy it and just hold it and keep it easy for yourself. Unless you're a crypto trader. Like I'm not a crypto trader. I get the feeling you're not yeah. a crypto trader. If you don't want no. to be spending 80 hours a week looking at a screen, just set yeah. it and forget it. That's all you have to do. So my, I use yeah. Gemini. I use Coinbase Pro. And then Gemini also pays interest on the crypto, which Coinbase Pro does not. Um, and then there's a service called BlockFi that I used to use. Um and those are the three things, you know, there's this whole DeFi world as well, this, you know, decentralized finance world. To be honest with you, I, I haven't really gotten into it, but there are some, but, you know, if you want to learn about that, then you can. And there are a lot of opportunities there to also earn yields and make more money and, and do other things. But for me, it's, yeah. you know, this is just a part of your view of like, what are my investments? And I think every single person should have some small allocation to crypto, I would say 5% or less of your total, whatever it is. And Bitcoin yeah. or Ethereum are the two to me that make the most sense. Makes sense. But what, what, what about, so you don't invest in shit coins at all? No, uh, there's no, there's investing in shit coins is an oxymoron. It's, it's like, it's like saying <laughs> like, right you know, yeah. I'm on the Oreo six pack diet. Like, you know, it, investing in shit coins is, is not investing. It's, you know, you're basically playing a, a game of hot potato of yeah. who is going to be stuck holding the bag. And, Look, once again, I'll tell I'll tell people all day, you can make money, obviously, in buying shit coins. You can make money buying baseball cards. You can make money <clears throat> buying and selling anything in the world, right? <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. 
But like, you know, what do you want to be spending your time doing? And what are you good at? Are you good at timing the market? I'm not good at timing the market. I can't tell you if something's going to go up or down tomorrow. But I can tell you if something's going to go up and down a year from now or five years from now. So that's the game that I play. And like, yeah, sure. You'll have friends talking shit. Oh, Bitcoin's down 20%. I don't know. It looks kind of expensive at 30,000. These are the same friends that will ask you if it's too late to get in when Bitcoin hits 150,000. That's these, so the, true. <laughs> these are the same friends that are me calling, yo, yo, Char, dog, like, is it too late, bro? I, I just, these are the friends that will be posting on Instagram. Hey, I'm proud to announce uh, I own 0.0003 Bitcoin. I'm a crypto expert. Now. Like, these are the same people that will be doing this two years from now. So my yeah. view is have a long-term view when you're trying to lose weight. Yeah, you might check your weight every single day because you're nervous about it or whatever. But if your weight goes up a little bit, and you've been dieting, you've been doing all the right things, you've been dieting, you've been exercising, you've been drinking water, you've been posting selfies. Like if if your weight goes up a little bit, are you going to scrap the entire strategy? No, you're going to commit to it, figure out like I'm in this for the long term. I'm going to check my weight 30 days from now. And yeah, if you check 30 days from now and your weight's up, clearly something went wrong. But you're not going to scrap the whole strategy because you have some small fluctuations. But for some reason with money, that's what people do. It's like they'll buy something. They'll be like, all right, it makes sense to buy this. It's going to go up. There's inflation. It's a store of value. They're going to buy it. And then it goes down 20% the next day. And, nothing you bail. Change, and they're like, oh, my God, like I'm going to sell it now at a loss because that makes sense. Like <laughs> it blows my mind. Like, I, I notice a lot of weight analogies uh, and health and diet analogies. And yeah. it seems like you're very educated on that too. Um I had like <laughs> I definitely had I, I wouldn't once again like even with fitness like you know I'm not an expert but like I definitely have had yeah. a lot of like weight issues I mean you know you you look like you're a you're a thin fit guy um, oh no you don't want to see <laughs> at, least from, uh, at least from the neck up um, and look we're also in the business of entertainment right like you're people yeah. are looking at you and especially on social media you know you you gotta to a certain degree I mean you got you gotta look a certain way right um, sure. when I was little I was very overweight. And I think also Indians okay. don't the same way we don't have a healthy relationship with money. We also, I think, do not have a healthy relationship with food. We associate so food with love, uh, which can be toxic at times. We associate food with acceptance. You know, what What does your mom, I'm sure, I don't know what, what it's been like with your wife and your parents, but, you know, I would imagine like if I had a woman and I brought her home, the way that I would know that my mom liked her was like she made her food, right? And the way that my mom right. would know that the woman liked her is that, she ate the food, right? Like you, you go to right. someone's house, you don't eat their food. Oh, yeah. It's basically the same thing as shitting in their house, but not in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, I think with fitness, like there are definitely times in my life where I struggled with, you know, healthy eating and whatever, but you know, that's, that's another thing you have to teach yourself when you're South Asian. Like no, no parent is going to get you a Peloton and say, Hey, ride this four days a week. Like you, you need to teach yourself like, no, it's like, this is healthy eating. This is not, it's not healthy to have, you know, 10 rotis every night and chicken curry and ilishmach and potatoes for breakfast, you know, with eggs and toast. Like, that's not healthy. Like, I need to take ownership of this myself because my parents aren't going to teach me this. And it's nothing against them. It's not what they're accustomed. Their parents didn't teach them. So it's not that I'm mad at them or that my parents are intentionally doing something to hurt me. They're trying to help me. They think they're helping me, but they're not. So I need to educate myself on this and I need to take ownership of this. And to, to be honest, the reason I make those analogies is because that was my first time realizing that like, you know, my parents don't actually have it all figured out. And there are certain things that I need to do for myself and certain boundaries that I have to set. Like there were times where I had to tell my mom, no, I don't want to eat this because it's just not healthy. And I don't, 
I don't foresee myself living this kind of lifestyle. And yeah, it was heartbreaking, but I think over time, you know, they also come around and like over time, I think my parents also came around to like, you know what, the state bank stuff just isn't it. Like we need to be investing in, you know, like your mom, like you start hearing about this stuff. That's how it starts. But it's like, you know, yeah, we need to be doing this stuff. Like we like doing the same shit we've done for 40 years is not it anymore. We need to be doing this other shit. Yeah. And it's generation after generation, you know, and that's the thing. What is incredible about your story, and I related relate to it a lot, is overcoming this programming and making your own rules for mm-hmm. everything in life, including health. That's a good way to put uh, it. I, I mean that. I mean that's like that's what I'm also getting out of it because this is what I'm also looking to do, and I've, I've also done. Because when I when I brought my wife, you know, home, and she she was obviously not Indian; she's Mexican, mm-hmm. and my mom liked her. She made food for her. Mm-hmm. And my wife fell into it because she Ooh. knew that she has to eat the food. <laughs> so the first night she ate like five aloo parantas and she oh. suffered through the whole trip. <laughs> and I was like, you don't need to put up with that. So I had to retrain my mom and tell her, mom, you can't feed her like so yeah, much. Yeah. It's not that she doesn't like you. She just can't eat. Yeah, yeah she, she doesn't have the yeah. stomach. <laughs> Although I feel like I feel like um, Mexicans or in like our Hispanics in general have very yeah. similar family like family values to to us as well. I would say they do. Yeah, and that's been that's been a big help in our relationship. Like like I, right now, we, I live very close to her parents, and and I get fed a lot uh, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> what are they What are they feeding you? Tortillas? Oh, all sorts. I mean, they make so they're like her mom is from Mexico, Mexico. So like they'll make a lot of stuff we'll never actually eat in the U.S. Oh, um, oh damn! You know, okay. like uh, yeah. I mean, it's just like, and we're she makes vegetarian Mexican food. It's like it's like eating literally Gujarati or Bengali or like you know very specific like Rajasthani food. Like you're, it's just very, but a lot of it is just wow. better versions of what you'd get at Taco Bell as well. Like you, you just get more refined, better homemade food. It's healthier. Um, there's obviously a lot of rice, a lot of beans involved. Um, I'm sure I'm sure your mother-in-law will, will like to hear that she's slightly better than Taco Bell. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the level that she's achieved. Oh, no. Her level, to be very honest, is Michelin, like oh, three-star Michelin level. Because she loves it. Good for you, man. That's great. Like that's that's important to like. I'm not a big food person, but when you yeah. do have access to something like that, like you really got to take advantage of it. You know, like being in I LA am. now. Like I moved out of my house. <laughs> um, I was living with my parents for a little bit in New York. I moved out more than a year ago, and so one thing I actually do miss, like someone, like maybe even I'll, I'll say like you know, food sometimes isn't even is about anything but the food. Like I just miss the fact that like she would prioritize like I need to cook. Because this is how yeah. I demonstrate that I care. And when yeah. you're on your own out here, maybe this is just like a Daisy spoiled boy talking. But when you're on your own and you got to go to Trader Joe's and put the frozen shit in the pan, like it hits it, it, you hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they're both so true. We, we And it's very hard to be away from that perspective. And like, it's, so it's, it's been a year you've been away from, um, you've moved out. How's that transition been? You know, it's, I think pandemic, I'm an only child also. So I've, I've had some pandemic training of just being alone all the time. And social media is very lonely, ironically too, 
because you're just staring at yourself all the time and you're trying to wonder, okay, what do I do next? What do I do? And no one's telling you. There's no boss. There's no manager, right? When you're working, I'm sure you had a manager. I had a manager, Lord knows. But there's no, no one's going to fire me if I don't put out a video tomorrow, right? So yeah. you got to stay motivated and you have to be focused. And sometimes that can just become very lonely. And I think it's also lonely in the sense of, you know, our parents don't really understand this stuff to begin with. So they don't see a path really. And, you know, I think my parents are definitely more supportive than other South Asian parents would be, but it has been a little lonely not to just have them around. Right. Like the same way, like, you know, we always chide our parents for being like, why are you moving out? Just stay here. And you never realize that they're, you know, they're just like, you're like, why do they just want me to sit around? That's so weird. Like that's so creepy. Um, (laughs) but moving out, I kind of realized that, yeah, just having people near you sometimes just makes you feel better, even if there's no real purpose for why they're near you. Yeah, I agree. The one thing you said that really stuck to me is like, you know, our parents, they come around to things we do. Yeah. And sometimes we'll we'll go out of our way and we'll do things our fathers or, or parents have never imagined we will do. But once you do them, even if they're considered, you know, not what we would do as a family. Like I was never supposed to be a business person, but I do run a small business. Nice. Like, I was never supposed to be good at investing, but I do invest a little bit and I'm fine. Light, I was never supposed flex. to do all these things. Light flex. You know what I No, I'm just saying like uh, my yeah. parents came around to it. Yeah. I was never supposed to get married to a foreigner either. Yeah. Like, do you, And my parents have come around and they've yeah. like, you know, so that... That's what's so true, and that's why I encourage all everybody. Um, uh, anyway, that, and, yeah, and, and that's look, the end honest, of my like, life. It's it's not that they come around just because at some point they'll bend to the wind or they'll give up under duress. I think the reason they're coming around to the stuff that you're doing is because you're genuinely being you, and you're doing stuff that is genuinely benefiting you, and you're doing it with a good heart, right? And I think parents can see that. I mean, granted, not everyone has a great relationship with their parents, but given the context, what we're talking about, you know, it sounds like you do with yours and, you know, I do with mine. If people and your friends, I would put in this category too. It's like, there are going to be friends that also sometimes don't support what you're doing. Right. But if you are genuinely just like doing something that is going to be good and you're leading with your strengths and, and you're committed to it and, and it's taking a lot of your mind share I do think that's why they come around because they can see you and they're trusting you. It's like the same way like a venture capitalist invests in a company that hasn't started yet. It's like, right, you don't know the company hasn't started. You don't know if it's going to be successful. But if you yeah. like the founder or you like the CEO and you can and you and you see them and they're like, you know, these this guy actually or this girl actually gives a shit about this. YOLO, let's just do it. Like, I right. think that's the perspective and that's why they come around. Like with my parents, they came around to a lot of the stuff that I was doing last year, two years because they saw two things. They saw how miserable I was at Goldman. And they also saw that, you know, I was taking it seriously and I was putting out videos every day and I was being mindful of it. And I, and I was making some, you know, I do brand deals. Like I was making money doing it. So like, like, you know what, like whatever, like at the end of the day, like even if he doesn't succeed at this, I'm they're sure like it'll lead to something else that I could succeed at. So, you know, what are you going to do? And like with your wife, like, yeah, I'm sure once your mom actually saw, I'm sure in the beginning she was mortified um, and she had to Google what Mexico was, but you know, I'm sure once she obviously saw like, oh my God, like she's an amazing woman and to obviously loves her very much. Like, of course she's got to come around. She's, they got to come around. Like, how can yeah. they not, you know? Yeah. And they love us, you know? So any, that's, 
that's that that's what's incredible about it the other thing is that w- my my wife's family thought well he's indian and they kind of didn't know like what does that <laughs> entail you know what i mean like are we gonna like i i joked about like i'll go meet your mom and i'll just start praying and like saying stuff in like sanskrit <laughs> like just which just i don't speak math. or <laughs> yeah i'll just start doing math i'll just, I'll just start <laughs> writing equations on the wall <laughs> <laughs> Oh, coming coming around <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> in how's been you know this is something i ask everybody in the podcast um it i am not educated on this i'm very new um and as as uh, we come to the last 5 7 minutes of it yeah. i want to talk about us being brown little bit unapologetically and ask you what oh, has no. your experience been vastly different uh you, th- you would say from a white person living and growing up in america this might be a little controversial but please the people that have made me feel more shame about brownness have never been white they've always been brown brown that makes sense brown there's i say this all the time to people there's no one that hates brown people more than brown people. <laughs> That's so true. It's facts. Like I've never had a pro- white people that I that I know, girls that I've dated, they take a lot of interest because it's something they don't know. It's a big question mark for them. So they're always yeah. trying to wonder, "Oh shit, what was it like growing up? What kind of food do you eat? I want to try it." It's the brown people that have always made me feel like either I wasn't brown enough or I'm too brown or this and that and you know, I'm bilingual. I speak Bengali fluently and people have so many assumptions about me and I get Mexican a lot too because I don't look brown either, right? You got to look at sure. like brown people expect you to talk a certain way, look a certain way, do a certain thing, date a certain girl. It's just like no one has more judgments than brown people. And yeah. And for me, when you say to bring it back to your question, when you say being unapologetically brown, to me, that means just being myself and being the things that I love about being brown in spite of what other brown people are doing or want me to do. Like, I don't dance. Yeah. I don't know how to dance. I've never danced, you know? Right. But when I was in college and I went to the South Asian Association meeting because college was the first time that I was going to be able to meet a lot of brown people. I didn't grow up around a lot of brown people. I was excited. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I finally, we're always searching for a community. And I was like, oh, I can finally meet my community of brown people. I show up. These people, it's just a dance club. And if you don't dance, you're not brown. If you don't know, you know, like every word to Dostana or Kuchkuchotahe, you get made right. fun of. And it's just like, what the hell? Like, that's not what being brown means to me. What being brown means to me is like finding your own path, education, learning, family values, supporting your parents. Like, those are the things that are brown to me. Those are the values that Agreed. I believe make you brown. So like, you know, when, when yeah. you say being unapologetically brown, like to me, it's like, yeah, I want to talk about the culture. Obviously, I do that on Instagram. Um, I talk about issues that fundamentally have come to fruition from my brownness, like money. And, and that's what it means to me. Like, I don't give a shit if, you know, Brown Girl Magazine or or these other like notably brown things don't think it's brown. Um, I do what I want to do because like, I'm, I am brown. Who's going to tell me I'm not brown? It's like, has that happened at all? Has 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 like a magazine told no. you you're not brown kind of sure. thing? Like, and and okay. shout out Brown Girl Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I'm just an example. Like they're they're amazing. Um, I, I, love I, did, that. I didn't. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm just saying like brown. There are people though, and and the issue okay, with brown yeah. people, I will say also, and once again, it's gonna be controversial. Is they never tell you to your face. 
you know, and it's you always, it's all behind. Yeah, it's all totally. behind the scenes. Like the, every brown person, like has dealt with this. I'm sure. You know, there's no oh, way yeah. you haven't. So like, that's the other part of it too. It's like you know, if you're gonna, if you got, if you are gonna think something or say something, like then at least just be vocal about it and lean into it. Like don't don't be doing yeah. the Indian. Like I've seen my mom so many times on the phone, talk like you know with some auntie, like oh and talking shit about some other auntie. Like, oh, yeah, I hate her. She always comes late to everything. Yeah, she always comes late. I don't know why. She drives. She shouldn't be late. And then that auntie will call her and she'll be like, oh, my God, how are you? I missed you so much. And then they'll talk shit about the other auntie. Like, you know, it's just, it's just like this is not <laughs> healthy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it happens It happens with me in a funny way. Like, uh, like all my friends who I used to have in India, they're always – not all, obviously, but uh, some of them are like, well, you don't sound – Indian anymore or you're like mm. you've become a firang which is kind of a way to address white people kind of thing and uh, which wow. is like a very weird you know but when, when I go home then I'm like well I'm home this is supposed to be home right like yeah like and then I'm here like it's 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 a little bit different because I don't always fit because I can't really talk about baseball or you know, <laughs> football like it's, that's, I have no idea how that stuff even works oh, like god like, baseball that's a trigger word for me also <laughs> <laughs> really work. is it why white people love baseball for it's the most boring <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life like you know like right. baseball really we're gonna sit around and and watch a bunch of guys bend over for two hours like <laughs> this is entertainment <laughs> like, like Jesus yeah baseball yeah, my yeah, I, don't, I don't know well Go go sorry, for it. I, 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 baseball. Sorry, just triggered me. You know, I'm going <laughs> to go meditate now for an hour. Yeah, my wife would uh, say to this, like, you expect me to sit and watch a cricket test match for five days? Like, <laughs> uh, baseball, at least you can drink at a baseball game. Well, you can drink at a five-day cricket game. Drink for five days, <laughs> for five you days. know? It's not... <laughs> it's a much longer party. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> so funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I mean, I'm going to have to listen to this like twice just because um, a lot of answers I'm looking for, uh, I think, were part of uh, what you said today. Uh, Dude, thank th you th so thank much you for, for uh, Like, I, I yeah. appreciate it. And like, look, we, we even, you know, I'll tell your viewers, like, we even haven't like interacted that much or talked that much. So it was great just to learn your story. And I think what you're doing is really amazing. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy from New York who moved to L.A., you know, oh my God, <laughs> like you moved all the way here. And then you're also doing something that would have been crazy, even if you were born here. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you're in LA and we just got to meet up and I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'll come tell me about your shows. Like I'll come out, obviously I want to see your stuff. Uh, I know, I know it'll be amazing. And, um, you know, hopefully we can do a, do a show together at some point. That'll be fun. I would love that. Uh, I think that would be great. Um, it's you know people talk a lot about how uh, people Indian people from India and America are different, and I've always found so much more in common, and mm -hmm. I've always been able to relate to all Indian Americans I meet uh, in some or the other way, and um, it's it was real pleasure to talk to you, and I will let you know about my shows, um, yeah. and hopefully we can do one together for sure. Done deal. Good stuff, dude. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Um, all right, guys, this is the end of our podcast. Uh, I will leave all social links um, for Anish in the podcast description. Yay. Um, and his Instagram. Anything you'd like to plug? Follow me on Instagram, Mitra NYC on TikTok as well. I'm launching a podcast called IPO and Chill. 
in a few weeks where we're going to make all things finance fun and follow obviously Tushar and support your boys. What up? What up, lady? Thank you so much. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>